Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Computer, add salsa. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, for episode 106, Lethe, comes to you now from the edge of neutral territory on Cancri 4. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. First up, Pete. A, a bit. A bit. <laughs> big, big fleet news. Just a little bit. Here we are uh, podcasting on Monday, not Sunday, for the next couple of weeks because of some scheduling things. And uh, patience rewarded, Pete. Why don't you tell us the first little itty-bitty thing about Star Trek Discovery? Well, Star Trek Discovery was uh, it was announced today. It was renewed for a second season, something that comes to no surprise to your hosts here. Um, so maybe we can start to move past the discussion of the platform on which it resides and embrace it as the great Star Trek it has been through six episodes. Here, 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 here. Uh, also, so glad to see that the Vok conspiracy theory has taken hold. Others certainly reached the same conclusion as we did, but we are uh, so proud to have brought it to you, dear listener, first. And uh, there are some there's some varieties on the Vok conspiracy theory there's that we're going to talk about later. Yeah. It's it funny just, how it's mutated. It, and and I like our theory the best, but there are some awesome theories out there that we're going to discuss later. And it just shows, you know. You need that little extra bit of sizzle nowadays. You need that twist. You need that theory to really take something into the stratosphere. And I don't care who's right, who's wrong. This is this is fun. This is really, really fun. This is what we wanted to get being back in the Star Trek universe. Last thing, Pete, we have uh, a badge prize for uh, somebody who's left us a, a, a review. We're going to declare a winner later in this episode. However, it's not too late to get your review in. We have one more week of prizes. And, uh, you know, once again, the sky's the limit. And now for our mission briefing. We begin, Matt, at the uh, familiar yet not immediately recognizable um setting of Vulcan where uh, Sarek is about to embark with uh, adjunct Vlatak on some mission that requires them to leave at once for the Cancri system. Um, Vlatak even inquires what the nature of their diplomatic mission is, but Sarek uh, says that sometimes diplomacy uh, uh, asks that you not, and uh, here ignorance uh, might be beneficial. I couldn't help but notice that there were perhaps some uh, some uh, environmental or building or or uh, rock formations and whatnot that perhaps element uh, echoes elements from the the films. Fine by me. We're not gonna we're not gonna you know go, go down that road here. Certainly, there are things from uh, the JJ films that uh, that are you know we're gonna be talking about canon later, Pete. There are things that are from the prime timeline, nonetheless. Um, but I like that we get the launch here. This, this perhaps it's held a second too long for my taste, but this great shot of the the really interesting Vulcan shuttle taking off, and I like the weight of it. It 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 felt 
real, though this is clearly a digital effect. There, there felt like there was something behind it. Felt a little violent for for what I would imagine is a is a Vulcan shuttle here. Well, uh, you know, Pete, the jet's taken off. Don't forget, if they're sending out a shuttle to go meet with the Klingons, which we don't know at this point mm-hmm. on first view, mm-hmm. you know, may, maybe they're going for a design that's a little, uh, little reminiscent of the old Vulcan hello there. There you go. Uh, but then the story moves right at launch, moves uh, to the Discovery, where uh, Burnham and Tilly are, are running. And Pete, they are wearing their special disco, the T-shirt, T-shirts. Let me get it out right now. Not a fan of the T-shirts, not a deal breaker for me. You know, sometimes C-3PO needs a red arm. Sometimes you got you got T-shirt <laughs> merch to sell. It's all good. A little kind of Batman yo-ho-ho kind of stuff for me, but it's all good. We'll talk about that when we do some theories later. But a great establishing shot here of kind of like the breezeway into space between the, the two saucer sections. And immediately the discussion on shaving time off of Cadet Tilly's run they've already taken 10 laps they're going to do two more before breakfast uh but it's not an arbitrary number we learn uh if she gets 6.5 seconds off her time she will earn a physical endurance commendation then she can transfer to a constitution class like the enterprise matt oh man uh i like i like that they are turning into you know the 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 mother show the mothership here. In my mind, I continue to think, you know, there's a certain point at the end of this series, not this season, but the end of this series, is when a storyline in the background comes to fruition. Of the war is over, let's get to a more light design, happy design for the uniform. Hey, how about single color? Let's get to some brighter, uh, brighter bridges. You know, let's go for, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think we're gonna we're gonna you know back into the design of classic trek uh but that said the ship is still out there and um i don't know it's a nice reference it already clearly the ship has a bit of a reputation and i'll further that forget the um aesthetics of of uniforms i'm gonna attack that from a thematic standpoint like was mentioned to us at new york comic-con uh by akiva goldsman they're going towards the hope and it's not, I mean, this show has not been super dark Battlestar Galactica, you know, they're, they're, you know, constantly on the verge of, of being extinguished, but it's been darker than other types of Star Trek we've seen before yet this and, and a character like Tilly and this discussion of, of where they want to get her and, and have her be in charge of a starship down the road um, maintains that undercurrent of hope that people have been quick to point out. There's no hope on this show. No, there's there's quite a bit of hope. And I think we see it from a, a multitude of characters in this episode. There's obviously less hope in the air during wartime, during crisis. You know, to me, it all works. And Pete, elsewhere, turns out elsewhere on the ship, Lorca and Tyler appear to be back on that that uh, Klingon prison vessel, although right away it just has the feeling of a training program uh, and really artful uh, use of exposition cut with action. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Ash revealing that he's from Seattle. Why does he reveal this? Because Lorca asks. Ash talks about his parents because Lorca asks. Certainly 
to me, there's there's uh, you know some theories of Bruin here mm-hmm. uh, in terms of you know Lorca Lorca maybe going for the double cross here, um, and I, <laughs> there's a video game esque crescendo with the uh, with the the you know shots towards the Klingons uh, before the simulation ends. Yeah, I love the the one shot that Tyler takes that dematerializes the back of of one of the Klingons' heads. Uh, but yeah, he's he's poking, he's prodding. They they finish up here. Hologram battle sequence uh, complete. Simulation complete, we should say. And we're going to discuss the the holograms, folks. Don't worry. In the in the theories uh, segment, because oh good, Pete, I, I, was, I was there. I was getting all upset here at the notion of <laughs> oh oh boy. I will, we'll save it for later. But no sooner do they come out of it that Lorca is immediately showing how much he knows about Tyler's background, that his mom was a teacher. She taught third grade at Issaquah Elementary, uh, that he grew up 24 kilometers outside Seattle, which doesn't exactly make him from Seattle. He likes to split hairs, Matt. He does his homework. Um, and, and detail oriented as he is that he wouldn't just take on anyone on his ship, not just anyone to play with these toys. It's not quite clear whether safeties could be turned off in this holographic environment. Certainly the notion here that, uh, that, uh, Tyler says he has 22 kills to Lorca's 24 when in fact Tyler has was 36 Pete. It was. And uh, Lorca tells him not to apologize. He was trying to defer to the higher ranking officer, but he says, don't apologize for excellence. And and Lorca, though he seems Ahab-esque is, you know, the, the adjective I'd like to use to describe him. And I thir- certainly think we see a lot of that in this episode. He does recognize greatness in how he's pushed a lot of these officers Burnham and Tyler uh, among them. Oh, and uh, out in the hall, Lorca notes that Tyler fights like a Klingon, mm-hmm. although Tyler dismisses it as having been beaten uh, by them for seven months. A couple of thoughts here, Pete, really fast. Not quite theory, but here's what's going on in my head in terms of are they seeding a direct reveal for Tyler as Vok? Um, certainly very able writers. Not exactly writers coming from, let's say, the, I'm going to use the name again, Pete, you know, kind of from the J.J. Abrams camp of the mystery box. So are they going for a straight shot that they think we won't figure out, i.e., you know, the the people behind Westworld that were surprised that in the fourth episode people were already putting together the big reveal that's in episode right. 10? Right. Or are they are they seeding twists and turns? Because, yeah, I'll buy it. If, if human, normal human Ash Tyler fights like a Klingon because he was with them 24 seven for three months as a prisoner of war and adopted some of those fighting skills. I will totally buy that. If it's surprise, surprise, another theory, you know, another theory comes to pass. I just don't know where they are at as a writing staff to pull these kind of twists. If anything, the way that Tyler uh, is portrayed in this episode by Shazad Latif makes me wish all the more he is not Vok. And it's going to be the turn of the the mechleth in the heart, if that is the case. I mean, the the speculation is rampant at this point that he is Vok. Um, 
if that's the case, that's the case. Nothing we're going to say is going to change that. They've wrapped their first season. They're renewed for a second season. Who knows when a reveal would come, although I would have to imagine it would be this season if, if you're not going to tease that out long range. Um, but yeah, it, it's fun to speculate. It's fun to have these problems. And, you know, amidst all of our speculation, Lorca is relying on uh, Tyler. He's going to make him chief of security. And his last security chief, having been killed by the, the tardigrade, and uh, they went through a lot together. We can speculate in a little bit what that might mean there, particularly in light of Lorca going through a lot with another woman in this episode. Back to the Vulcan shuttle we go. Sarek wonders why they haven't dropped out of warp. It's interesting, by the way, to watch his, what we would call the increase in panic, which instead in this very Vulcan sense is his increase in understanding the situation as it's unfolding. Um, I can't, I mean, I'm no actor, but I cannot imagine what it's like to be a trained, competent, respected professional actor and then you're told okay do all those things just don't show any emotions it needs to all be behind the eyes it needs to all be in the head but you don't get to raise your voice in panic you don't get to whatever it is all these tricks are gone and he's just wonderful and you know the situation of course only gets worse as his junior partner injects himself with something Quickly, we see it looks like it's a, a, a ticking time bomb, perhaps shades of the MCU there, Pete. But that's that's another podcast. And then we get this really raw monologue out of the the, you know, the, the, the suicide bomber. Sarek has been blinded by the truth. Humans are inferior. And this will help yeah. show a way for the Vulcans to withdraw from the Federation. This is a build the wall kind of guy. Absolutely. And there's some shades of the fourth season of Enterprise with some of the Vulcan uh, intrigue that went on throughout that season, but, you know, happened as well in um, that particular, uh, you know, block. But uh, yeah, the moment you saw him with something like, all right, what he, what is he injecting? And all right, now it's moving through his body. This, this guy's blowing himself up. I, I like too that the show is turning itself towards what we have always seen in Star Trek, which is that the Vulcans are holier than thou, haughty, and unlikable. We have the exception in Spock, who's of course half Vulcan. And we have some other, you know, some other characters along the way, but there's kind of at that core, there is the, there is the better than you aesthetic of the Vulcans, um, which can be very off-putting and, and the show is embracing it. It's as much a part of, of Star Trek as anything else. Um, regardless though, just as the, the suicide bomber is about to blow himself up, Sarek starts to push some buttons. I like that we get the ship sliding out of warp. Pete, I don't mean to keep invoking the JJ films, but I really like in uh, in uh, Star Trek in the Darkness when you see see the ship kind of you know blasted Drop out of out. warp. It wasn't quite this you know to, to that degree, but it was a really fun way here to end the act. Well, how about the colors too? The reds, the greens, the blues. Matt, that palette of the nebula looks like it's ripped right out of an animated series episode. They they certainly are using a rich color palette, and uh, 
you know, I know in the movie end, there's uh, just movie end in general, not Star Trek movies. There's a whole debate, which is too boring to get into now. But, you know, some of the um, HD cameras are uh, don't show as rich a color palette. And that's been brought up on you know some criticism about some of the Marvel movies and whatnot. And now the cameras are better, blah, blah, blah. This is a rich color palette. I don't know whether I assume they're shooting digital, but whether it's digital, new cameras, older thing, color filter, you know, saran wrap on the lens. I don't know, but it looks awesome. Out of the uh, title card there, uh, I think it's very important to point out our writers for this episode, Joe Minoski, a veteran of Star Trek, back to the next generation, who, of course, wrote the famous Darmok episode and Ted Sullivan. The episode directed by Douglas Arnioski and uh, somebody who I admit, Pete, I don't think that we have seen a bunch of, although he's a, an executive producer on Instinct, on Bull, on Limitless, on Sleepy Hollow. He's directed from those shows, American Gothic, Flash, uh, a guy who wasn't on my radar, but somebody who does an awesome, awesome job here. Beginning in the mess hall here, Tilly uh, ordering green juice, extra green. Uh, which immediately Burnham belays. It doesn't have the correct ratio of protein, carbohydrates, and fat to do what it is she's looking to do, shave those 6.5 seconds off. Instead, it's going to be a three-egg white breakfast burrito with black beans for you. I'm okay with that breakfast all the time, Pete. Let's <laughs> let's replace all our green juice, extra juices with, uh, with such uh, breakfast burritos. Um, the roasted the, tomato salsa too. I, what I really appreciated beyond Burnham's commentary, you know, she says this, this will get you, you know, the, the cooked tomatoes are an excellent source of lycopene. Um, but what's up with the synthesizers in this episode commenting uh, on, you know, uh, here are your delicious and nutritious uh, two appetizing and nutrient-filled burritos. First of all, Pete, you you calling them synthesizers? It gives me a case of the vapors here. I don't think that there are synthesizers in this era of Star Trek, and th th thus I might have to turn off the whole thing. Um, to be a bit more serious, I, I think that they are not meant to be synthesizers. It's synthesizers. I think it's some sort of you know modern update of the old you know the old food vending machine where you go a two two and the ham sandwich falls i think there's some preparation going on in that machine but it's kind of with a preloaded set of ingredients uh however that might be i don't know the particulars of course but i think that it is giving some of this positive reinforcement because you could walk up there and say you know bowl of jelly beans and you know because it is the enlightened federation they're not going to tell you no but they want to every so often say here are your jelly beans but when, <laughs> then when you come along with you know green juice extra green and they'll say green juice now with more iron from the you know just, just a little it, it pete it's like a fitbit but it feeds you well, when they find that uh, new guy Tyler is uh, eating in the mess hall, of course, crushing a green beverage. But uh, if you note his plate later, there are very clearly some fries on there. And the discussion moves to the scuttlebutt about him taking out six Klingons at once. Yeah. And as they sit with him, Pete, I'll say it again. I think I'm going to say it every episode from here on out. I love Tilly. She's all eyes and nerves and just adorable. Um, 
as to this rumor that she kind of squeaks out, they say he killed six, say you killed six Klingons. He says, you can't believe everything that you hear. Boom. Who's sitting across from him? Uh, she says, Michael Burnham. And uh, Burnham says that uh, as for what's been said about her, you probably can believe it. As and point I out- think that so much of the writing in this episode seems to be informed well ahead of people speculating that Tyler is Vok because Vok has held the holographic device with Captain um, Georgiou's picture with Burnham's picture. He would know well who this is. And now you're face to face with your enemy. You're face to face with maybe the reason why if he's Vok, he's come to this um, ship from a personal reason other than the mission of get discovery, figure out what they're, they're doing to, to be hitting us so hard. When she introduces herself as Michael Burnham, he, how about this? Let's start with the actor. Shazad Latif gives her a quick look up and down. I read it. If we're taking Tyler as human, I kind of read it as the internal monologue of you don't hear a quick look to say, yes, female figure and then from there kind of the oh the michael burnham then you know the admission of who it is if it's vok though pete it's absolutely as you're saying oh my goodness what a small universe it is where where this face i've seen before is now in front of me um it's at this point now that they're introduced they shake as tough folks do um but she's distracted by pain at first i thought pete it was going to be like oh man she's picking up with her vulcan Echoes, not not Sarek's uh, Katra per se, but just with her Vulcanness. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, she's picking up. They're going to do the Vok reveal right now. She's mm-hmm. going to pick up that something is weird, but no, it's she's distracted by the pain, visions of Sarek, extra trippy. I mean, it's just Pete. It goes full on trippy. I have to imagine. How about the jump? How about the the Katra jump? As my uh, my notes labeled it, this this run forward and then boom, yeah, throwing herself into the void there. Um, and and how about the beautiful exterior location that they're able to use for Vulcan here? I would be interested to know if it was um, truly exterior. I suspect you are probably right. Um, but whether it was that or just a set or just a, a lobby in some Toronto hotel or whatever it might be. But it looks amazing. The costumes are great. I mean, of course, the ears are good um it just sells it so much um we see amanda who pete i thought was only recently cast so i i I was in my head saying did they go back and film this later uh i'll just say right now later points in the episode and i'm i am i have zero knowledge of makeup i think that they did um trim sonica martin green's eyebrows for these Vulcan scenes and then kind of penciled them in later on. So maybe it's just the announcement of the Amanda casting, but she seems to be pushing for Burnham to be accepted uh, for Burnham to be accepted into that Vulcan expeditionary service. I think with the actress Mia Kushner that uh, they had announced recently, obviously this was filmed months and months ago. um, They really found a woman to look like Jane Wyatt. Uh, from the original series, she's she's got those sympathetic eyes. She's got very similar curves to her face. I mean, obviously they update the the hairdressing and everything like that. I I appreciate the 
the the wife and husband formality, they use those words in dialogue each at a point in this episode. And to see the it's it's not a flashback. It's a memory. Um, it's it's what Sarek is thinking about as he's in the nebula to see this disappointing moment in Michael's past. And then in the middle of it, Sarek notices her and chops her out of it was just really cool. And I like the sharpness of the, the, the cut that takes us to sick bay. Um, particularly as we've gotten all of this kind of information dump. And I mean that in the best sense possible. It's, it's perfectly appropriately uh, expositioned. Um, but just this idea that, Amanda, that the, uh, Amanda's point that Burnham has done wonderfully on the test and Sarek kind of you know, sticking with his people almost over his wife, which is never a good choice. Got to go wife first. But, you know, Sarek uh, is sure that there were other metrics that, that, that uh, resulted in Burnham's uh, being excluded from the service. But then, as you say, Pete, boom, he gets hit and she wakes up in sick bay. We get a little kind of expositional catch up about the Katra, which is fine. Uh, we need those reminders from time to time. And um, then we get some more information, Pete, about these logic extremists that had tried to bomb her. Yeah, I think the assumption earlier was that the Klingons were somehow involved in this bombing. We're told here that's not the case. These were logic extremists who, you know, there's a purity aspect going on with the Klingons. There's a similar vein of thinking with the Vulcans, particularly in this episode. Keep uh, keep Vulcan uh, logical or, or make it more logical again or, or whatever it is. But they tried to take her out. She was actually dead for three minutes, this soul graft of a, of a Katra, bringing her back so though it's it's mythically regarded amongst our professionals here it, it's it's very real for them with this character of burnham it, it's just such a profoundly sad moment and it's almost kind of like you know i can't believe and, and i mean this as the this is this is the best praise of the show but like i can't believe it's come to this we're star trek needs to still be exploring this you know 51 52 years later that we're still here with you know the no with star trek exploring segregation and you know whether you want to call it that or not that clearly is what these vulcans are are, are doing and clearly Listen, what what they're trying to discuss from our world i i think everybody that watches this show or, or most of everybody who watches this show and listens to our podcast wants to get to the star trek times when there's no war when there's no famine, when there's no disease, when we are not driven by money anymore, but it's the good of humanity. We'll know we're there when Star Trek no longer has to exist in our culture. And as sad as that'll be, I will give Star Trek up to live in the Star Trek times. Certainly well said. And um, we we get Burnham adding through this connection here that she feels like Sarek might be dying. And it's interesting. We're at this point, 15, 18 minutes into the episode and kind of now first setting a course for the episode. Not that it in any way felt like it was dragging, but all of this is to get 
get to a point where she says, we need to go help Sarek. He might be dying, but we need to help. And against his wishes, this is an inadvertent contact, hence booting her out of the the memory rather than, hey, here's where I am. Send help. And the notion of send help, we cut to Lorca on the holophone with the uh, the previously seen Vulcan Admiral. Uh, Taral. What's the name? Taral. Admiral Taral, uh, confirming that Sarek is missing. Um, and we get a little further information here. There was a secret meeting with the Klingons, uh, particularly by two houses that have been kicked out by Cole's leadership. Um, and then it, we get some some hard, uh, you know, hard light from the Vulcans by way of Lorca kind of uh, intuiting, intuiting that Sarek's expertise with these non-logical folks, you know, the humans, could be used behind Starfleet's back for him to straighten things out with the other impulsive, uh, you know, uh, non-Vulcans by way of the Klingons. Yeah. And what does he do? He, knowing the location here, a nebula near Eurydia, uh, and command is assessing, nope, it's okay, I'll go get him. Uh, tell the Vulcans I got it. <laughs> it. It's a great moment, and the end of this episode notwithstanding, um, and I think, you know, we'll, we'll discuss that in due course, and there's a number of ways you can go with it, but, you know, Lorca is growing on me as the wartime captain that you need. You need somebody who does these things. The, the pain of war, the fog of war is awful, but you need guys and gals to win it, not, not, not peacemakers always. And he's the right guy for the right job in the right time. Um, and or frankly, it's kind he? of a Kirk. It, it's almost a Kirk-esque moment. The only way Kirk would have perhaps added to it is, oh, no, there's a meteor shower. You're, you're getting very fuzzy. <laughs> I, I, you know. But it's kind of that, nope, I'm, I'm acting. I'm a man of action. And uh, Your, Lorca, your Lorca opinion pops. is predicated on one thing, though, Matt, that this is Gabriel Lorca. Well, we'll get to that gem of a theory in a little bit as well. Um, they they pop, you know, at least story-wise, we cut to them popping into the nebula. I will admit, initially, I was like, oh, yeah, they, they're able to get right there with the, with the, the spore drive. No, no, spore drive presumably no longer a thing it's kind of at the at the back of the table not not uh, not an option uh for everyday stuff like this uh so of course they've warped in and uh what are their options no number one he says to saru but it's burnham not number one who says me yeah uh she can sense sarek's uh erratic vitals here and the nebula's radioactive gases, as is always the, the plot point with uh, Star Trek, you know, make scanning hard. OK, we'll do probes. That'll take months, Saru says. So that's where uh, Burnham becomes the viable option. And then we get a character, Matt, I call hippie Stamets. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's all in the context of them talking about coming up with a mechanical component to get Sarek vision so that they can connect Burnham's senses to the ship to get a, a sort of radar going. And uh, Stamets is so excited at the prospect of this. Um, but of course, you can't get too close to the nebula uh, with all the spore drive that they have because. Right. And there's there's a seeming glee 
with Stamets here we've not seen before. And of course, we know that he's under some sort of duress since hooking himself into the device in the previous episode. And Lorca even regards him at the end of this scene for a beat longer, like, all right, my, my guy who's normally cranky and I fight with just said groovy and cool and talked about, uh, you know, a psychic hit of speed. Um, I'm going to stick a pin in him for later. <laughs> the ultimate decision is that they're going to use a shuttle to go out into the, uh, into the nebula uh, with, with someone or a couple of someones to help along the way. Burnham chooses Tilly to kind of be the, uh, you know, be the, the, the medical face of things, medical science face of things. Lorca chooses Tyler uh, to be the shuttle pilot. And he tells Tyler that, uh, that he should return her, not the shuttle Burnham without a scratch or don't come back at all. It's a great moment. Uh, back in his ready room there, Lorca, it was a big episode for Lorca, uh, working on the hollow star chart. There's an incoming transmission that's, uh, Saru explains that, uh, Admiral Cornwell is on the horn there, but, uh, won't need to talk to her, uh, over the horn because she's landing. She's here. And certainly not happy. Uh, we see her reading him the riot act in his uh, ready room after her arrival. She reads him a list of his errors, convicted mutineers leading the rescue. Uh, she is being helped by a POW. There's also been some previous eugenics experiments by way of Stamets. Um, <laughs> laid out like that, Lorca doesn't sound like as great a captain, I will admit. Uh, he, however, suggests that they stop talking as an admiral behind the desk, you know, as she is, some slams there, uh, and just talk as friends. Whiskey? Next act begins, Matt, in that beautiful nebula, and Tilly wants to know where all that Burnham bluster that keeps her going has vanished to. We get, at least as a partial answer, some uh, shedding of uh, Burnham's past here, or shedding light on Burnham's past. Uh, she was an attempt to show that humans and Vulcans could coexist, uh, but she has become Sarek's greatest failure. And with that rather downer note, uh, they are ready to search for Sarek. Uh, Burnham puts on the head scanner with Tilly in charge of pulling her out, but Tilly is told to simply not pull her out. And that's kind of when I realized, Pete, this device on her forehead it's not just a medical thing. It's actually a handy flashback device. This episode is sneaking in flashbacks <laughs> by way of a, of a, you know, a, a current story point. But they're even then, you know, they're, they're not true flashbacks in the, in the everyday sense, because they're happening in a unique way. They're, they're happening as memory engrams from somebody's brain whose synapses are firing. Matt, it's essentially a near-death experience. Uh, shades of the Star Trek The Next Generation Season 2 finale, one of the most disappointing episodes of Star Trek ever, entitled Shades of Grey. No, not that one, you naughty folks. Uh, which is just a clip episode because Riker gets a clock on the head and they need to put a little spiny thing into his brain to make him think thoughts of the first two seasons because budget brain and brain what is brain <laughs> well 
Well, I'll tell you what's on Sarek's brain. Pete, do you remember that time how on Burnham's 10th birthday she was given a book and then now kind of closer to Burnham not going to Expeditionary Force Day, Amanda gives her another book about Alice's adventures in Wonderland along with some motherly advice? It's a great moment. Um, this this book exchange that took place on Eridan D, a, a human ritual, and um, a, again checking in with uh, with Alice in Wonderland, but tethered to the advice that never forget your human too, and to nurture that side, uh, and and nurture as opposed to nature coming up in a little bit. But Sarek is talking with the director and he comes back, he breaks the, the bad news. And uh, here comes uh, Amanda with the, the line about, if this is an attempt at humor, you need better practice, husband. And bottom line is it still is a no. And it's at this point that Sarek notices Burnham again and, and fights to get her out of his mind. And she explains that she's there trying to save him. Uh, so with, uh, you know, and, and is getting smacked around as, as a result. On the shuttle, uh, you can see that, that she's being damaged. And Tyler orders Tilly to pull her out of the Matrix, if you will. And uh, Tilly is reluctant. Then Tyler, of course, outranks her. Or does he? Uh, and Tilly then complies, and we get Burnham just gasping in this, you know, I, I don't know. I, I can't say it any better than yanked from the Matrix kind of moment. Well, speaking of gasping, Matt, and some possible heavy breathing, that's, <laughs> that single mauled is settling in. It's kind of like the bottle they killed that night, you know, the one where Lorca and uh, Cornwell watched the uh, Perseid meteor shower. They had grand plans in their youth. Lorca still does, but she's worried about his decisions and uh, the, the trouble he seems to be confronting each mission with. It's pushing the crew and the ship harder than they need to be pushed. It's not his record but it's what she's picking up on since he lost the Baran. And uh, we've gotten a medical background before out of her, but she's some sort of uh, psychotherapist in that he floats the line, well, if you're practicing again, I can think of a whole bunch of other things we could do for 50 minutes. <laughs> uh and that is coming off of the moment where he justifies his ignoring orders, his pushing the crew, quote unquote, too far with his Klingon resume. How do the Klingons feel about him in wartime? Um, but as you mentioned, Pete, there's little fingers wandering to the knee, discussion of other topics. At this point, Admiral, uh, the, the Admiral stands up. She takes off her Admiral badge. Pete, all I want to say is a good old George Takei, oh my. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, we have Tyler back in the shuttle ling in a course for discovery. Uh, Sarek has blocked Burnham, uh, but she's intent on going back. Uh, Tyler points out he's been close to death before. You think about who you love, and he's the one that comes up with the advice here for our protagonist. You have to think about what they would have done differently. That's what you would think of in your dying moments here as she prepares to go back in and the act breaks. Well, Pete, out of that act break, it's graduation day. 
again. Sarek uh, once again says that he wants uh, Head Burnham out of uh, of his head. I'm making the uh, the rather Battlestar esque uh, uh, difference here, just because we also have kind of in story Burnham separate from Head Burnham. Anyhow, she asks him for faith in her once again, and uh, Sarek says that in fact he never lost faith in her, only in him, in himself. And uh, he's going to show her more, Pete, as he talks with the head of the uh, Vulcan Expeditionary Force. Yeah. Uh, essentially, Matt, it was a Sarek choice situation, which I really loved. And it, it blew up in his face because of his unique, maybe even innate ability with these uh, experiments, the other, uh, Vulcan calls them. Um, he's, he's put in an impossible position to choose. Okay. You get one into the Vulcan expeditionary force. Who's it going to be your son or your ward and blood of course being thicker than water, but Spock is pointed out and, and name checked here as being, uh, half human whereas uh, Burnham is fully human, raised as a Vulcan. They want Burnham. They'll take Spock as well, but you're only going to get one. Um, I'll accept one of your not-quite-Vulcans, he's told, um, before Sarek is confronted with the irrational uh, emotionality that he seems to have when it comes to these two young people, um, and that the integration of the others of, of humanity, of course, is admirable, but it must be titrated. In discussion with Head Burnham, it is, of course, uh, made clear, as we know, that Spock chose Starfleet. So Sarek's choice ultimately was a moot one. It was a wasted one. Uh, he denied Burnham entrance into where she wanted to go. And then Spock did not pursue that and chose the place that that Burnham didn't want to go and uh, a touching moment as Burnham says that she's lived thinking she was a failure uh, but Sarek repeats that he has in fact failed her and he has so much shame over all of this and it might come off as self-serving so Alex Kurtzman is one of the execs behind this show and certainly he had a very large part in the uh, Star Trek 2009, where we see the, the excellent scene where Spock turns down admission to the Vulcan Science Academy um, over his background, uh, essentially his humanity, and, you know, chooses the, the institution with the lower standards, Matt, you know, this, this Starfleet thing. I, I don't know if it's going to catch on. Um, but but it's not here. It works so organically in this scene. And and to know that if you're a Star Trek fan, you know that he doesn't get accepted and therefore winds up going to Starfleet because of the conflict that arises there. Um, and, and to have this all way back at Sarek and that these would be his dying thoughts that he felt shame over what he did choosing Spock and, and not Burnham and having it be the, the wrong call um, is, is really humanizing for a Vulcan. Oh, absolutely. And uh, 
<laughs> Speaking of uh, the Vulcan end of things, uh, back to Sarek in the uh, in the memory here, he is now bleeding in it, and uh, we certainly get that visual cue that his, his head version is coming into alignment with reality. Uh, he pulls uh, Burnham's willing hands into a mind meld, and uh, she says, wake up, Sarek, tell us where you are. And uh, he does just that, Pete. He awakens uh, in this temporal plane. Um, looked to me like there still was a spot smoking from, uh, from from where the suicide bomber had detonated. Yeah. Sarek reaches up. It's got the shaky hands. We have a little extra drama here. Mm-hmm. Finally gets the one button, sends that emergency trans, uh, transponder, uh, which cut to the shuttle they get. So help us on the way. Yeah. And they're they're able to evacuate them. Uh, back to Lorca in bed with uh, Cornwell, and she regards his back, Matt. Interesting. There's one jagged scar, and there's another in a triangle. I mean, certainly the, you know, plenty on that back for the theory machine to work uh, over. And um, as she touches his scars, he awakens. He has a phaser to her face, a hand around her neck. And not kind of, you know, that's a position that's held for a couple of beats. It's not kind of the quick, you know, it's not the quick kind of PTSD um, thing that you might see normally in TV and film where, you know, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, oh, I was having a bad dream. He's he's in that moment of rage and that moment of uh, of, of fight for for several moments. And she sees this as proof that he is damaged. He is broken. She starts to dress, dresses quite quickly, and then puts that badge back on and suggests that he is going to lose his command, that she has seen enough. And uh, if nothing else, Pete, we see a, a um, how shall I put this? We see her able to be professional despite the personal thing that has gone on there. And certainly shades of Kirk, shades of Riker, shades of a whole bunch of other presentations of sexuality where they can do the one thing and then they can still get back to work with their with their heads still on straight. Yeah, but this was an attempt, she feels, to blind her, um, Katrina having a greater window into his psyche. Uh, It's not clear whether he had been a a patient at any point, but, uh, you know, the rest of the brass has been blinded. She's not. Um, And he's he's tried to use this to manipulate her. Uh, so I think she's she's rightfully hurt as well, apart from the importance of this ship, this mission that they have. Uh, she makes her way out and coincidentally, Saru calls and says that uh, the shuttle with Burnham, etc. have arrived. Uh, the story moves to sick bay where Sarek is barely alive, but it's going to pull through. I'm really glad, Pete. I was worried that he would get killed off completely and we would never see Sarek again. Yeah, goodness gracious. Um, we, we don't want to live in a world where, where that happens. But uh, they, they've brought him back. Um, there's a discussion quickly between um, Burnham and uh, Lorca here about uh, what's going to happen with uh, Sarek, that, that he'll be okay. Uh, but he's not going to make the meeting and the importance of that. But wait a minute, we've got a Starfleet Admiral on board. We know of the location of this meeting at, uh, um, what is it, Cancri 4. 
the the elders have set it up there. We're halfway there. I, I don't know. Seems like things are lining up. I thought, and I, I clearly I misheard. I thought that there was reference to possibly taking Burnham with her, but the bottom no, line is, no, no, there was not. Well, I, I know certainly Burnham didn't go. Uh, regardless, though, um, Lorca kind of increasing his uh, his generosity of spot offering. Uh, he he's wondering if she would like to be a bridge officer, be the science officer on Discovery. And uh, it's at this point that Burnham goes into sickbay to see Sarek. She notes it is good to see him healing. Uh, he says that he regrets not being able to continue his mission for peace, but then really doesn't have much more to say. In fact, Pete, in that not much more to say, he is willing to say that they are not technically family. And Sonequa Martin-Green has this wonderful moment, the briefest raise of both eyebrows, <laughs> letting the emotion show through. And then uh, says that she's not going to push him on this for now. Then adds the zinger, father. It's a great moment. She's, she's just jumped at the acceptance of Lorca's offer. Here, Sarek, we think, is pretending that he doesn't remember sharing the memory and the circumstances of how he was rescued. Uh, but yeah, she's, she's able to, uh, one up him at the end of that exchange. Um, we go to the shuttle bay where, uh, Cornwell says to Lorca that he doesn't want to ruin, uh, his career. But when I return, <laughs> we'll talk about how you step down how you get help and maybe get back in the chair. And the moment you hear that, you're like, all right, they going to kill um, this actress off or is she just going to be a prisoner? I mean, either way, it's th there's no way around it in terms of the, the writing signals that, you know, ticking time bomb. I got to go. But when I get back, you're fired. Um, he, of course, wishes her good fortune and, um, with that, we return back to Burnham, who runs into Tilly, uh, noting that there's more than one way to the captain's chair. You know, Tilly's out out jogging again. Find your own. And uh, Tilly says that she has. Now, I don't quite know what that way is. I want to learn more. Hopefully that's... Oh, come on. We know what that way is. What it's, way is it? It's Michael Burnham. This is her mentor, she called her earlier in the episode. This is... A, Again, the affirmation and what Tilly has done and, and fully credit Mary Wiseman's portrayal of, of this character is, has injected that, you know, that innocence and, and that, again, there's no other word for it than, than hope and, you know, this optimism that, that things are going to be okay, that all is possible and, you know, that, that this wide-eyed cadet is, is going to be sitting in a captain's chair someday. We stick with Burnham, who's in the mess hall. Uh, she grabs herself a nice healthy tea, confirmed to be healthy. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I love how Tyler, who's there as well, he offers her a seat with a push of his foot. It's a, it's a great visual. Um, they talk about Sarek, and she notes that she won't get from him what she wants and vice versa. She says, I feel angry, but I want to love. Mm -hmm. I mean, if that doesn't encapsulate that doesn't encapsulate a lot of our world right now. I don't know what does to me. The it, whole it... exchange anger, uh, for love. Um, she, she wants to cry, but she has to smile. She's hurt, but there's hope, Matt. And it's Tyler 
if it is Tyler, who points out it's humanity. That's that's just being human. And here's where I really want him to just be Lieutenant Ash Tyler and and not some ideologically driven Klingon. I'm not backing off the Vok is Tyler theory one bit, but I think I think there's a certain point where, you know, the Tyler doth protest too much in future episodes. If we are getting so many clues that it clearly is him, you know, you can overwrite things, but then in the editing room, you pull it back. And if they're watching this going, all right, well, let me show it to a friend. What do you think? What do you think? Oh, man, I think he's I think he's actually that Klingon. All right. Well, we got to pull it back a little bit. Um, so, I, I, again, I, I think he, there's a multitude of options. And this is the new this is a new game to play is is where, you know, where's that big twist coming from? The scene concludes with her reintroducing herself to him kind of newly centered and then, Pete, we cut to Cancri 4 in neutral territory. Only nice things happen in neutral territory. Great and, uh, overhead shot into the the meeting hall or whatever it is that's taking place and, and down some ducks. They've, they've had really good establishing shots throughout the series. Cornwell's there. She's got a couple uh, security people um, destined. Pete, if only they had stayed in the space service a little longer, they would have ended up with red shirts. <laughs> Um, the two Klingons are there. I love, uh, in Denas, the female Klingon. I mean, there's just this massive head ridge and then all the, the jewelry, jewelry that we've seen her before in, in holographic form. She was one of the houses that, that answered the, uh, the signal that, um, Tukovma lit. Uh, Cornwell notes that Sarek couldn't attend and she will speak for Sarek and she's in, in full diplomat mode. She thanks the elders of Cancri for, and Pete, anybody watching knew that something bad was about to go down. That said, I still jumped as her security gets killed. <laughs> then the elders get killed. There's kind of a mournful, you know, alien plea. All they want to do is just be the Switzerland and they get, you know, they get stomped here. Beautiful um, design of those aliens, the the bone white, tall, robed. I mean, literally, you could have taken that design and, and thrown it in the original series and it would somehow have made sense. Um, but, you know, here's here's Cornwell. She's the only one left. And what are we going to do? We're going to fire up the uh, the hologram. And there's General Cole. He is pleased with uh, Denas to see what has transpired. Uh, he was hoping for a high-ranking Vulcan, but Cornwell is so much better. I mean, Kenneth Mitchell here just just you know leaning heavy into the gleeful bad guy. Oh, while he's speaking a foreign and fake language, you know, just it all comes across <laughs> here. Um, though Reward these two, what's that? He rewards them. He does. They were on the outs, but now they are welcome to join the United Klingon Empire and get access to that sweet, sweet cloaking device technology. And Cole looks forward to meeting Cornwell. So if nothing else, Pete, she's not done for yet. Yeah. Uh, wonderful scene all the way around. Uh, the news is delivered to uh, Lorca by Saru. They've taken the Admiral into enemy space. There's a great far away shot of Saru in the in the head to toe costume with those uh, those hoof boots that he's got that really sell 
the alienness of Doug Jones' performance. And uh, he says, Lorca says, let's let's notify Starfleet Command. We're gonna we're gonna play it Cornwell's way. We're gonna ask for orders. And Saru is shocked. Even Matt talking about him how in the past they've engaged in alternative thinking, you know, like alternative facts, but alternative command strategies. It was a wonderful line. It was. And I mean, clearly the implication to only we, the audience is that, you know, if she's left to die, that'll help his situation. And uh, Saru leaves and uh, Lorca considers his options as he looks out the window. And then in many ways, the pièce de résistance of the scene, the camera showing that he has a phaser tucked into the back of his, you know, behind his back in his belt, showing, you know, he's, he's, he's packing a weapon even when his number one comes to deliver him, you know, I mean, negative news, but this is not a red alert situation. They're not under fire. And just tons of complexity pouring out of the captain to uh, to end the episode. This after regarding his reflection in the, the one small window there in his quarters. So tremendous episode for Lorca that's made him far more dimensional than he's been in the past. We have a threat analysis coming in. Pete, where should we start? We're going to begin with a Vulcan adjunct, Blatak, who, of course, takes his life in a suicide bombing, um, one that he believes is going to bring the rest of his race back from an alliance with humanity. The, the larger implication, Matt, the Vulcans have been involved with humans at this point for nearly 200 years. Is my math correct? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this, this is long established and, and to tear this up because of, uh, you know, Sarek's fascination, his words, uh with them is severe we all know unfortunately about you know real world suicide bombing and the the conviction of faith that it requires and i I dare say we would all agree uh misplaced faith um but there's something almost worse about seeing the faith in logic that leads uh vlatak to this you know, to this cool acceptance of death and acceptance of murder and acceptance of the logical greater good and the logical purity of it all. Uh, I mean, it's, it's absolutely chilling and it's, it's Star Trek having one of those moments where something really uncomfortable from our world gets reflected back to us with, you know, latex ears and bowl cut wigs and, you know, green screen uh, shuttle trip and a cool set and we're back to kind of where we started, which is being disappointed, not in that other species that comes from a sandy planet and where they're all weird and have green blood, but they're talking about our own our own human species here. Yeah. Uh, Danas, from the moment we had seen the design, I was anxious to, to see it uh, in the flesh on screen instead of in a hologram. And though we only get a little bit of her at the end of this episode, she does not disappoint. 
no, I mean, tons of strength there. The makeup design, the, uh, the, the jewelry, I don't know whether at that point the jewelry is a prop, you know, a props department uh, issue or a makeup department uh, accoutrement. But regardless, I mean, it just all comes together. Uh, there's a savagery to her design and a savagery to her performance and to her execution. And I mean, Pete, the, the, the plate overfloweth here with, you know, when we can get back to the Vox storyline. I mean, clearly, whatever his experience was um, in losing everything that's being held for a reveal. But we can get more there. We can get more from Denos and Cole and uh, and Cornwell. Uh, we can get more just back on Discovery. We hardly had any Stamets in this episode. Uh, we could get more Tilly. We can get more Burnham. Heck, I want more Detmer and more Bridge Crew. <laughs> Thank goodness there's a second season coming because I you feel left like they're not going to in in all of that. Yeah. And, uh, with Cole here, though only a hologram, his presence looms large. Given out cloaking devices like candy on Halloween, Matt. And I mean, if for no other reason than the brief, brief appearance in this episode, that iconic uh, face paint or face tattoo or face coloring. Indeed, we're not sure. I mean, where's our Cole, you know, uh, flashback episode. But that just makes him so recognizable with all the alien names and this and that, the other to just say, oh, this guy really is is rather effectively running this war and just just pulled a. uh, you know, pull the switcheroo on our heroes. Well, Matt, you know who never pulls a switcheroo on us and helps us to uh, provide the stability for our federation of listeners and fans? That is the good people who support Fantastic Geek on Patreon.com. With so much being uh, being covered by our family of podcasts uh, nowadays, particularly this season, it is so appreciated to have uh, support from our own council of admirals keeping things going. Uh, if only, Pete, we could reach a point where, where all data is free and where money has been abolished and we can all have fortune cookies and egg burritos <laughs> in the interim. Uh, it is so appreciated to have help from listeners like you. So if you find yourself in a position to possibly contribute, head over to uh, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H, all one word. Every contributor is going to get access to exclusive podcast content. And then there are various levels at which you could contribute. Thank you for even considering it. Let's check long-range sensors for a whole host of theories. Pete, where do you want to start? Because we got we got a, a basket full here, too. We do. I always like to do these chronologically. I'm going to start with the disco T-shirts. We had seen people wearing them, uh, people working New York Comic Con, uh, wearing these very T-shirts. Uh, Matt mentioned them to me i was down on them then uh it was funny to hear you say unprompted earlier in this episode you you didn't care for them i thought they were gonna work seeing the preview for this episode because i thought what we were gonna see with uh burnham wigging out uh with the mind meld with sarek was going to be some kind of 
dream or other type of sequence. No, they apparently on the discovery refer to it as the disco, which is fine in slang outside of the universe. I, I don't care for it in the universe. To me, I mean, I stand by what I said at the top of the podcast. To me, it's a bit, you know, the red arm of C-3PO. It's, a, it's an attempt to get some merch moving, which is fine. You know, before we before we say, well, never, never would Star Trek ever do that. You know, the uh, the idic symbol, the which was the groovy, the groovy necklace that Spock wore in season three. Uh, how about the one that was on Burnham in this episode, a pendant on her neck? There you go. But I mean, what I'm saying in terms of chrono- the chronology of the production it's as it's as far back as season three of classic trek where they made a thing to be a merch item so i mean to me it's no harm no foul not my particular taste um you know it is what it is and if you're so inclined go pick yourself one up i know there's already people saying oh my goodness you need to be printing these out of the uk as well because (laughs) the shipping fee blah 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 if it's your thing go for it it's just not my thing right uh, the, the meaty one, Matt, Tyler as Vok, um, comes across, I think, most notably in that, hmm, Lieutenant Ash Tyler never knew his father. Vok is son of none. Hmm. What do you think there? And certainly I know we're going to bring in some uh, some listener and viewer theories. I I think it still is the best theory out there, but as mentioned before, I worry that this episode confirms the circumstances so much more so now. I'm not saying it's a slam dunk, but it, it is it is a faster commitment than I expected. So now I'm on the lookout for, did they know we were going to figure it out? So now they're giving us confirmation so that they can then say, you know, no, no, no. He's just a guy whose mom taught their grade for real. The real switch is somewhere else, which is where we have some other some other theories to move to. Pete, another theory uh, comes our way uh, by way of uh, Twitter user at Black Alert Disco, uh, who side note, you know, we got into a conversation when somebody else was uh, was, uh, you know, getting a bit heated talking about, you know, this trek is sacrilege and it's boring and i fell asleep and you know so we kind of bonded two strangers over twitter we bonded black alerts uh prediction it's a bold one pete it's short but it's powerful season one is a mirror universe the dark side so michelle yao and rika sharma return in season two i i can appreciate the theory i just can't see them predicating the universe on the mirror first and then resetting it to a normal way. I I think the, the narrative uh, ping pong and and the misdirect that would happen at the start with that would be too severe. The blowback could, could crush the show. It's the kind of thing that needs to be done perfectly. All I will say is I've seen, I've seen it done. Pete's seen it done maybe in other places. Maybe I've seen it in places Pete hasn't. Not going to say. Not going to spoil. Um, I think that at the end of the day, I mean, look, it's an awesome theory. And it, it's these kind of, it was, a, it was a secret thing all along. I mean, that's, that's lost in many ways. That's Westworld. That's, you know, Game of Thrones kind of, sort of, you know, can you trust this one? You thought you could. Um I think that to undo the world that you've built, 
that you know there's your risk there's your risk that we yeah. finally got star trek back and now it wasn't really real um but it's viable it's it certainly is viable it is and and i think there's there's a lot of evidence you could potentially point to speaking of evidence matt let's talk about the holographic uh simulator or <gasps> a hollow deck all right. Well, first of all, Pete, I, I guess now is where we talk about cannon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they were using rifles, really, not so much cannons. <laughs> all right. So if you grew up on The Next Generation, as I did, you grew up knowing for sure that there was this cartoon that maybe there, when you were much younger, there were reruns of on Nick at Night or Nickelodeon or something, but it was all bad and it was no good and nobody liked it. More recently, it's... Um, first of all, more recently, people have warmed to the animated series, and more recently, it's uh, it's come to light that uh, and I'm using the words here of David Gerald, the the vaunted uh, Trouble Tribbles writer. Um, in his opinion, um, the reason that Star Trek uh, animated went, you know, was decanonized was because uh, Gene Roddenberry didn't like to give people raises and. Um, and gave somebody kind of the role of determining canon and that it kind of, it kind of got taken away, you know, that that got blown up um, beyond the intentions. And uh, I believe it's also the David Gerald quote that uh, can't, here it is. Um, It it should be canon because quote, Gene Roddenberry accepted the paycheck for it and put his name on all the credits. Um, And thus that's a lengthy way of saying we've seen a simulatable recreation room Uh, in the animated series so why not here it's not the type of appearance of this technology that changes the game in a way that i think people should be upset with i know you had floated the possibility that well maybe they have like the uh, the escalator style floors or, you know, the environment keeps, uh, you know, changing, moving with you in a, in a physical sense with the simulation. Um, let's be honest, everything in gaming right now is going towards that. And I, I think that's a little bit of a selling point of, of the show too. Not that we're pushing video games, but, you know, to get younger fans like, wow, you know, all right, they're, they're the holographic battle simulator is, is like a video game. That's how they're going to pitch it. That's how they're going to make it come across here. It, it keeps statistics, the, the whole idea there. So I was fine with it. I, I really don't think that people should worry about this as a canonical misstep as a deal breaker, Matt. There, uh, there was a lot of claims last night, overnight on Twitter. You know that that it is made clear that the holodeck is first introduced as a new thing to everybody in Star Trek in the universe in uh, Next Generation, and it simply isn't. They they are astonished at the quality that the Enterprise D has with its holodeck, and then particularly after. Uh, or in the neighborhood of the episode 1001001, whatever the exact title is, mm-hmm. um, which had been meant to springboard into further holograph, uh, holodeck change. And I think the episodes ended up getting aired out of order or produced out of order or something, something. Right. But there's this upgrade. 
and that's where you get more of the character definition that's where you get not not quite moriarty yet but that's where you get that increased believability from the characters not of the simulation guys running towards you and fading away when they get shot with the the special uh you know nintendo light gun that's not what's new that's not what is claimed to be new we get a discussion between tyler and Lorca here when the security chief job is uh offered that uh landry was somebody who was really important to Lorca. There's been speculation that a love scene was filmed with Rekha Sharma and um, Jason Isaacs. Uh, but, you know, whether that's true or not, and here having the relationship with Admiral Cornwell in this episode, Matt, were Landry and Lorca a thing? Um. I had wondered that myself when the episodes were first, uh, you know, when, when when we first met those two. I think in the in the here and now and all the discussion of uh, workplace impropriety, workplace assaults, things of that sort, uh, I think it's difficult for me to kind of get a clear read of the Star Trek universe where you really, really can separate the physical from the professional. Um so I'm not quite sure how to land on this. I, again, I kind of felt that it was it was in the air. I I think that it is to their benefit that this uh, this this reintroduction of the the real world topic of of uh, power abuse uh, and and you know clearly something that needs to needs to be prevented in the future. It's to the show's benefit that they didn't show Lorca the freewheeling sleeping around boss just because we are now re-examining this it, it would have felt it would have felt too inappropriate the fact that Lorca sleeps with his boss maybe it's a gender issue maybe it's just whatever to me is a little bit less offensive heck they have the connection from years back it's not you know do this and get the promotion or do this and let me go to this star system that kind of thing but I kind of sense that you know to whatever degree that Lorca is a bit of the dark side of the other captains that we've seen yeah, maybe he is. Maybe he is uh, sleeping around and still keeping it professional. If one can do that in the twenty third century, we'll come back to Lorca in a little bit, Matt. But the Vulcan militants who turn up in this episode, these logic extremists, I mentioned before, we've got a little bit of a callback to Enterprise in that there were Vulcans there who despised humanity, that felt that humanity was leading them off of a logical track. Um, you know, even some of the stuff that went on with uh, Subcommander T'Pol and her mother uh, Teles and some of the Vulcan intrigue there. Are they trying to firm up a connection here? Is Is this... Uh, a one-off, hey, you know, the, the Vulcans have their own issues as well. What do you make of that? Well, I think that the best use of canon is when people are, uh, people have the enriching experience as consumers, as viewers, as readers, and so forth. Um, but canon should not be this, this cage inside which the writers have to exist. Um, if the show is throwing us little nods here and things there that connect back to uh, back to Enterprise or connect um, in somewhat parallel to the animated series, 
I'm all fine with that. And there was uh, there was a great conversation, Twitter conversation uh, overnight uh, with a bunch of people, including uh, Chadwick Adams. That's at Chadwick Adams 83. Um, kind of, you know, really saying, well, Gene said this and Gene said that. And it turns out some of this stuff Gene didn't say at all. It was his assistant or is called by david gerald his his errand boy uh, richard arnold or others that have have made these distinctions in the past um i think that we as star trek fans get all too tied up as to what's official and what's this and what's that this is such an expansive universe with 750 mm-hmm. plus episodes the obvious stuff you know james r kirk in in uh, where no man has gone before all right you know that that's just a mistake but there's other stuff where, you know what, we're not going to spend, we're not going to have an entire series that has to fit perfectly into everything. And we're seeing that more and more where this kind of makes sense as opposed to, as we discussed before the show even started, you know, what if they had just done kind of the Mad Men version of Star Trek, put them back in those old outfits and put them back in that and and make it modern that way. You know, we we can't we can't crucify ourselves on the cross of canon, particularly when it's kind of been something that's been here and been gone. And, you know, if Gene Roddenberry didn't uh, fully accept the animated series, but didn't accept all things of Star Trek five, what does that mean? It means that the people making Star Trek are including all of film Star Trek. And that's good enough for me. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself with Lorca, Matt, the, uh, you know, the big scene where he, he chokes out, um, and, and pulls a phaser from under his pillow. Um, the, the woman he's, uh, in, in bed with, um, the triangle scar though seemed really unusual. Um, and I know we have some, some theories out there about that. Yeah. And this is a theory that, uh, that I, I like quite a bit. I like our theory more currently, but uh, here's what Ayinde Blake, that's at Blake 1701D, says. <laughs> and it, this, is, this, is, this is a hefty theory here. Uh, Blake says, I took a second pass at Choose Your Pain, and I think I have a wild theory. I am, hope, I'm, uh, hope I'm wrong, but it rests on a tribble. I'm going to say it straight up. Ready? Vok is Lorca. Roll with me on this. During the cold open, Lorca cried in pain for the brief uh, second, Admiral Cornwell changed the lighting levels. At the end of the cold open, after the shuttle ambush, his optical aid was left behind. Lorca really relies on this piece of tech. Fast forward to the torture scene. Three bright lights and two forced open eyes later, Lorca is in hella and prolonged pain. I submit this is the last time we see the real Lorca. Vok takes his place and Vok joins Mud and Tyler. Now, I'm no doctor, but if Lorca's eyes were exposed to such high-intensity stimuli for a lengthy duration, he should be blind by now. Note that Lorca does not disclose his medical condition to either captive, but Lorel knew. Um, and uh, he, uh, he or she, Blake, concludes by saying for Tyler, uh, he, is either he, he is either who he says he is or believes what he says he is. There's a Manchurian candidate brody from homeland vibe <laughs> to him so just to summarize here pete you know blake putting forward Lorca is vok vok is Lorca. The, the, the captain formerly known as Lorca is gone and then throwing some shade on tyler that maybe tyler is tyler but is acting under uh, under duress as well 
it's not a bad theory, and I do think there is circumstantial evidence to back it up. I just don't know if it's the case. I, I think the the Vok as Tyler uh, theory has more tentacles in the story right now than, you know, turning the captain into a Klingon. Would it be compelling? It would. I I just don't know if they're going in that direction. I don't think they are. Well, time certainly will tell. Last one from me, Matt. Stamets, we know is not himself. Uh, what do you think of uh, the Stamets were presented with in this episode since we last saw his reflection in the mirror before? I will admit it's not that I had forgotten a, a single bit about the fact that there's some Stamets trouble um, from last episode. He was in this scene so briefly uh, and the tension was so high and I was so pulled into the Sarek stuff. I had not completely made the connection that that this might be the other guy or, or whatever mirror theories we want to go with, whether it's the mirror universe or whether it's a split personality or whether it's insanity or whatever it is. Um, in retrospect, though, on repeat viewing, this is not the guy that we've known. And no. there's a performance choice there. So I mean, I guess at this point, any of the above, all of the above, um, in many ways, that's kind of the hook for future episodes. He's another ticking time bomb. We can't trust Lorca. We can't trust Tyler. We can't trust uh, Stamets. That means that we're going to feel on pins and needles around uh, around the Doctor because what, when's he going to figure things out? Oh my goodness, he's just a recurring character. Is he going to get killed off? Pete, is nothing sacred? Who knows? <laughs> With that, let's go to hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Pete, first up on a uh, return uh, message here, we hear from uh, from Dutch Fred, who says, Hello, Matt and Pete. Uh, he's sharing some feedback on episode five. So this is, you know, last week's episode. Um, he says, I'm so happy that there is finally a new Star Trek series that I find it difficult to be critical. Fortunately or not, I watch this series with my wife, uh, who can be a little more critical be- because Star Trek is not the love of her life, as it is for me. <laughs> Clearly, he's being a little metaphorical there. Uh, ah, what am I saying here? Please don't tell her. Don't worry, we won't. She thinks that the Klingons are just too much. Firstly, she complained about the fact that the Klingons speak Klingon. Uh, it is just not fluent enough, which makes all the Klingon scenes feel slow or even viscous. Now in episode five, we finally meet an English-speaking Klingon in the female captain of the prison ship, uh, and that makes things go a little faster. Now my wife starts to complain about the full mask appearance and the awkward hands. She mainly misses the flexibility of the mouth. The same is true for Saru. It's a bit like there's a voice coming out of a non-moving mouth. It makes it a bit unnatural. Of course, I'm too much of a coward to concur with this, but I actually think she's right. On the internet, you will see similar comments. I just hope this series will not come prematurely to an end because of this. Uh, What do you both think of this? So Pete, we'll stop his comments there for a moment. I had noticed on some of those Laurel close-ups, it did look a bit tight on the bottom. So your thoughts on the makeup and the mouths? It's a lot of makeup, um, particularly the the tops of the heads, I think, is where I'm drawn a little bit more visually, particularly in an episode like this with uh, Dennis with the really, you know, funky jewelry. I have not paid that much attention to the mouths. I'm going to have to do that uh, on on second glimpse. 
I've noticed on some of the hand close-ups too, I mean, it's difficult to move a glove that, you know, you don't have a bone and muscle kind of connected to. Um, certainly, I mean, it's a bold it's a bold choice to do the gloves, almost, in my mind, more bold than a whole bunch of latex everywhere. Um, wrapping up Fred's comments, though, he says, finally, I want to thank you for my official appointment as Fantastic Geek by the only <laughs> institution that can grant this grade. <laughs> Uh, You're he welcome, then con- Dutch Fred. <laughs> he concludes, Hartelieter <laughs> Hoden. Uh, still at the end. Um, Dutch Fred, he has sent a pronunciation uh, for me to listen to to make sure I get uh, the, the, the closing properly. Uh, how, however, he says, my pronunciation was not too bad. My compliments. And then in his third PS, he has one for you, Pete. He loved the story about your grandfather coming from Rotterdam <laughs> and being a cruise ship captain. Nowadays, the old building of the Holland America line and one of their ships, the SS Rotterdam, uh, are being turned into hotels with nice restaurants, uh, all still in the 50s, 60s style. And uh, he sends a couple pictures, and I'll send your way, Pete. Okay. He says, uh, on the SS Rotterdam, I gave a lecture a few weeks ago. My great uncle helped me uh, building it as an engineer back in 1959. Wow. And- well, my grandfather was the captain of the Rotterdam. Well, there you go. And uh, Fred concludes saying the building of the Holland America line uh, was once the highest building uh, in the harbor area. It's now fully surrounded by high skyscrapers. For me, it has special meaning because some 17 years ago, I asked my wife to marry me in that same building. Oh, what a great story. So I got to get over there, Fred. I got to do it. It's got to happen eventually. Uh, But, you know, just a tremendous flood of memories and, and catching up with you know, somebody from uh, the the land of my grandfather that I've yet been able to visit in 42 years. So thank you sincerely. So that is uh, that's the latest there from Dutch Fred Pete coming to us uh, across these uh, <laughs> these the, these many uh, light years. We'll fling it to iTunes, Matt, where we've put the call out and we're going to give away one of those shiny new Star Trek Discovery Starfleet badges. We have two reviews here. The first is from GTA is me. Uh, The headline is these guys represent geekdom's finest five stars. And the review reads good podcasts are hosted by good natured people. These guys are real fans with thought through opinions without all caps descending into the stereotype of the misanthropic picky Trek geek. Always interesting, informative and fun. Great stuff. Wow. Such kind words. Appreciated as always. Absolutely. And then the second review, Matt, uh, comes via our winner for this particular Starfleet badge that is at Tennis Trekkie. The headline of the review is The Word is Given. It's five stars, and it reads, Matt and Peter's in-depth, informative, and entertaining Star Trek Discovery podcast is truly a joy to listen to. It is a refreshing cocktail of episode summary, analysis, and critique, as well as relevant Discovery news. Add a splash of historical Trek perspective with a twist of humor, then mix and enjoy. So delicious. My new weekly ritual, not for the faint of heart, listening to the Discovery podcast before I actually watch the episode. I've found that it enriches my viewing experience, makes me watch for and listen to things I may have otherwise missed, and provides invaluable context, insight, and perspective. Matt and Peter, 
thank you. Your podcast connects the dots of a complicated storyline faster than a tardigrade can display a galactic mushroom map. The word is given. Subscribe to this podcast now. Wow. Certainly uh, overwhelming kindness there. Uh, I dare say, Pete, it's living on the edge to listen to us first before the episode, uh, before the episode proper. I mean, that's, yeah, uh, that's crazy, crazy uh, credit there. So, uh, you know, tennis Trekkie, God bless you. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I could do that. I, I can't listen to myself anytime, let alone listen to myself before I watch the episode. Well, Pete, if there was a way for us to listen to the podcast before we did the episode, <laughs> then we would know that we were in a time loop. Right. Um, in a That's time next loop. Week. <laughs> in a time loop. Uh, so certainly, Pete, uh, uh, we will uh, be picking one more badge prize, at least for this round of prizes. I think the, yes. the badge the badge prizes have gone over really well. Um, so uh, if you've put in a review and haven't heard it read yet, you're still in the running. If you've put in a review and and uh and have heard it read but haven't won yet you still might win so luck abounds and uh i guess with that pete let's talk about how people can be in touch with you you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-t-e-l-a-a-r 9579 followers can't be wrong and while i am personally on twitter as looking back lost and this weekend got into a fight with a couple of people who said, you know, not my star Trek and I, I'll never watch it again. And it made me sleep for the first time in 25 years. Yeah. Um, so th that's right. That's right. I take off the boxing gloves there. Normally I'm the one behind the tweets on uh, fantastic geek on Twitter. Uh, normally I'm the one checking the email at fantastic geek, uh, pardon me. Yeah. Fantastic geek at gmail.com. Uh, seeing the comments on fantasticgeek.com. And also, uh, let's see, Instagram, Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. I'm the one on the Facebook, facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. So like it today, you'll be connected with everything that we bring you. If you're listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek feed, we'll be back this Friday to talk in humans as that show continues to air and show things um if you're listening to us on the uh discovery a star trek podcast by fantastic geek feed we will be back next monday continuing deep dives of this continually enriching show and uh pete only three weeks of discovery left before it goes on a little break so i mean twists and turns galore certainly but with that i will say adios to all our listeners and give you pete the final word in times of crisis ignorance can be beneficial.